Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Everybody's looking forward to the decision. Tonight on Global News Hour, the future of the Surrey Police Service could come down this week. What Surrey residents are saying about the policing debate. Yeah, we make arrests day in and day out, but it's really hard to hold ground. San Francisco law enforcement overwhelmed by the toxic drug crisis, how they're handling it, and should BC do the same? And they will have the opportunity to interact with uh, other individuals and maybe even find a new mate. The Vancouver Aquarium's four African penguins are on the move. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It's a long-awaited decision that can't come soon enough for residents of one of BC's fastest-growing cities. The provincial government is expected to announce later this week whether the transition to a Surrey Police Service will continue or the RCMP will remain the police of jurisdiction. Kamal Karamali reports. In Surrey, patience is running thin. People probably want closure to things faster. On whether the city will remain with the RCMP or continue its transition to the municipal police service. Stability is important. That's why we definitely, whichever way it goes, we do need that. And it looks like that will finally happen later this week. It's been an ongoing issue in Surrey, something we've been focused on far, far, far too long. And we haven't been focused on the things as a city council that we need to be focused on. All eyes will be on Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth saying he'll make the final call before the end of April. In addition to the kind of division that it's caused among residents, you know, not knowing which way that we're going to go and having that sort of um, conflict, it's also cost additional um, money for taxpayers. So, you know, it's unfortunate that it's taken this long. It's been nearly four and a half years since former Mayor Doug McCallum and Surrey Council gave notice to the Surrey RCMP that its days were numbered. Until Mayor Brenda Locke was voted in under the campaign promise to return the RCMP back to the police of jurisdiction. The decision then kicked up to the province. Here we are, we're waiting, we're, we're being held as economic hostages because we can't make decisions on economic development initiatives, on infrastructure that we need in Surrey. This year's Vasaki celebrations filled with hot meals and a hot debate. Everybody's looking forward to the decision. And, uh, you know, the sooner the better. There's just so many stakeholders that are on this project and we got to get to that decision. No matter which direction the decision goes, many residents will be grateful to have the ordeal behind them. Kamel Kuramali, Global News. There's more from Friday's talks between the provinces and territories and the Canadian Association of Police Chiefs over bail reform. Keith Baldry joins us now with the details. And Keith, this comes after Premier David Eby released early data about how many applications to keep alleged offenders in custody were in fact rejected by judges. 
Yes, in fact, less than half of the Crown's request to put people remain in custody uh, were granted uh, by judges. The, the majority are rejected. They're out on the street, even though they're chronic violent offenders. Didn't get a lot of attention on Friday, but Attorney General Nikki Sharma also released a letter here to Federal Justice Minister David Lametti calling for legislative changes on the issue of bail reform. She notes in her letter to have only half or less than half of the cases in which Crown counsel show cause is uh, uh, very concerning. Changes are needed through federal law to ensure that the independent judiciary is empowered and legally required to hold to account those offenders and accused persons who commit repeat violent offenses under the federal criminal law. Very strongly worded here. The key phrase there, making judges empowered and legally required to keep people behind bars. As a result of recent legislation and Supreme Court rulings, judges now are, interpret those rulings to mean that they are required to uh, put people back out on the street rather than to keep, to keep them behind bars. Look for Nikki Sharma to release more data this coming week. She's promised to do that once more cases are added up to put further pressure on Ottawa to, again, amend the criminal code to ensure not so many chronic violent offenders continue to walk our streets. Well, it should be interesting to see if that message will be received. All right, thanks so much, Keith. Burnaby RCMP are releasing new images of a suspect accused of assaulting an 89-year-old woman at a busy shopping centre. Police say last Thursday an unknown man attacked the senior citizen at Metrotown, shoving her to the ground. The victim was rushed to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. RCMP say the same man assaulted two other people in the mall before fleeing the area. Burnaby RCMP is asking anyone who may be able to identify him to contact police or Crime Stoppers. The city of Vancouver says it is making progress on housing people formerly living on Hastings Street in the downtown east side. This is what Hastings looks like east of Carroll Street 18 days after the city's decampment efforts began. A few structures remain on the two blocks west of Main Street. During the two weeks from April 4th to 17th, three people were housed, according to the city, while 27 others accepted referrals to shelters. The city is not tracking the number of people who do not accept shelter. It also does not collect data on how many people are from out of province. Vancouver's mayor says every person who asked for housing has received it. The federal NDP wants to implement a plan nationally to tackle the housing affordability crisis. It's a strategy that's been implemented here in B.C., but as Travis Prasad reports, one housing expert says it may not be the best one to try to solve this complex problem. And we all know people are struggling just to find a place they can afford. And Jugmeet Singh believes his party can help with that. The federal NDP leader says he would bring an end to so-called renovictions, where buildings are bought and renovated and rent is raised to unaffordable levels. Singh says the practice could be stopped with a national affordable housing acquisition fund. That allow a not-for-profit or, or, or community organization or the city to be able to purchase the building and keep it in the hands of someone who wants to keep the rent affordable. It's something B.C. already does. This year, the provincial government created a $500 million acquisition fund for affordable housing. In the case of B.C., where there is a fund, we would supplement that and support that fund to create more opportunities to buy housing. The announcement made in Burnaby on Sunday fell short of specifying how much money would go into the fund. You know, it's okay. It's a transfer to renters, uh, but it's paid for by taxpayers. Housing expert Tom Davidoff says there are likely better, more direct ways of addressing affordability and the urgent need for newly built homes.
probably a simpler way to accomplish that is to eliminate restrictive zoning so that more apartments get built and then just simply take money from taxpayers and give it to households struggling uh, with low incomes. But, you know, this is one way to do that. Singh adds his government would put a moratorium on wealthy corporations buying existing affordable housing buildings. If your goal is to make money, build a new apartment, build a new uh, housing. Don't purchase previous ones that were affordable and then rent evict the tenants and jack up the rent. We want to put a moratorium on that, put an end to that happening in our country. Global News reached out to the federal conservative and liberal parties for comment, but did not hear back in time for broadcast. Travis Prasad, Global News. Later this week, Vancouver City Council will get an earful from business owners and operators over what they are saying are the disparities between what businesses have to pay when it comes to the tax load compared to residential owners. Grace Key reports. Most businesses at risk of closure in Greater Vancouver typically cite property taxes as the most detrimental cost to their operations. That's according to the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. Right now, commercial properties are paying 41% of the tax burden in the city, but they only occupy 7% of the property. The Vancouver Business Improvement Area Partnership, representing 22 BIAs, would like to see a tax shift from non-residential to residential properties in order to provide provide relief for small businesses. I have a business next to a house. They're roughly the same size, same shape. Um, and the business, all told, will pay $56,000 for the same services that a house gets for $7,200, bucks. And I understand that there's differences between businesses and homes, but it's way out of whack. The BIAs are calling on Vancouver City Council to approve a 2% tax shift from small businesses to residential properties over four years. In 2019, the previous council approved a 2% tax shift from non-residential to residential properties over three years. Many businesses along the Broadway corridor already hit with subway construction are looking for relief. You don't really get a your rent or your taxes or costs of everything seem to be going up all the time and the construction doesn't help. In February, Vancouver City Council approved a 10.7% property tax hike for 2023. On Tuesday, Council will review a report on how that increase will be distributed between residential and non-residential properties. Grace Key, Global News. Members of BC's film production industry are keeping a very close eye on a possible Hollywood writer's strike starting as early as next month. The Writers Guild of America, repre representing more than 11,000 screenwriters, has announced that their members have voted to support a strike. That gives their union leadership the power to call a strike once their contract expires on May 1st. It's believed the main sticking point is wages. The CEO of Creative BC is hopeful a work stoppage can be averted but believes if there is a strike Hollywood North and BC will bounce back quickly. From what I'm hearing from the labor organizations they're really you know trying to support their members who aren't working at this time to encourage them to do training, upskilling, um, you know providing other types of support so I, I think that you know they're an important part of what uh, type of support exists for the industry and what people might be doing during this time while they're you know in a bit of a holding pattern. 
Parade of BC adds the province has nearly 3 million square feet and studio space and 60,000 people currently employed in the industry. According to the Canadian Media Producers Association, film and TV production in BC reached nearly $3.3 billion in 2020 and 21. The last time the Hollywood strikes, sorry, writers went on strike was in 2007 and lasted for 100 days. More than a, for more than a decade, BC's Filipino community has been calling for the creation of a cultural center, much like the Croatian and Italian cultural centers in Vancouver. Today, they're making a plea to the federal government to support their campaign. About 3,000 people have already signed a petition for the center. The BC government is providing $250,000 toward the cause, which the local Filipino community is grateful for. But it's still not enough, and they're asking the prime minister to dedicate federal dollars to the center. Having a space where we can all come together gives the Filipino community an inclusive space to celebrate its diversity intergenerationally and interculturally and to connect with others and solidarity. As a community which itself has experienced colonization, the building of the Filipino Cultural Center is also a space where we can engage in our own process of reconciliation. The BC government says more than 150,000 Filipinos call the province home. After facing tough times during the pandemic, the anti-Asian hatred directed at them, the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Gardens is celebrating 37 years. The event kicking off with cake cutting this afternoon and many other festivities. Organizers say they are proud of their nearly four decades, especially following a number of challenges. Two months ago, the gardens was splashed with what appears to be fake blood and last year with racial slurs. I think this is going to be a very special celebration for us. And the theme this year is magic. And as you can see everywhere around, the spirits are uplifting. And we've got the support from council here and Parksburg School Board members. And we're just really happy. And this is a real special celebration today. Well, a warning to Kitsilano residents. A snake is on the loose tonight after escaping from its owner's home. The six-foot-long, fully-grown boa constrictor went missing from a third-floor apartment near West 4th Avenue and McDonald Street sometime today. Her owner noticed she was gone around 3 this afternoon and called the SPCA and the city to report it. The owner says the brown and tan-colored snake was in her enclosure around 6 a.m. and believes she may have crawled down the fire escape looking for food. Hope it's found. Well, coming up, is this the best way to deal with the toxic drug crisis? We'll head south to San Francisco, where the National Guard has been deployed to help combat the fentanyl crisis. And then why there will be more opportunities for Indigenous entrepreneurs in the province in the cannabis business. There's more to come on Global News Hour. Stay with us. As toxic drugs continue to kill almost seven people a day in B.C., California's government has announced the National Guard will join San Francisco's fight against fentanyl. What happens in the U.S. city is often seen as a harbinger for Vancouver. And as Christian Robinson reports, critics fear the move will only increase the dangers for a vulnerable population. San Francisco is often compared to Vancouver due to its visible poverty and clear impact of an increasingly toxic drug supply. 
Hey, Gavin, tell me what you're going to do about the fentanyl epidemic. Days after California's governor visited the Tenderloin, or ground zero for fentanyl's devastation, Gavin Newsom announced he's sending in the National Guard and State Highway Patrol to help San Francisco focus on dismantling fentanyl trafficking and disrupting the supply of the deadly drug. We make arrests day in and day out, but it's really hard to hold ground. And we need to get it under control. We also want to be able to cut off the source of how these drugs, how this fentanyl that is killing people in alarming numbers is even getting to our neighborhoods. Newsom's office says San Francisco has seen a more than 40% jump in overdose deaths in the first three months of this year alone. The likelihood that this is going to be successful at actually curbing substance use and overdose deaths is extremely small. Dr. Paxton Bach, who sees fentanyl's toll on the front lines at St. Paul's Hospital, says supply-side intervention has never worked to limit access to drugs. But it's a very effective way at increasing the volatility of the, of the drug supply um, and leading people to unfamiliar sources and, and overall uh, increasing danger and harm for those who are using substances. San Francisco's top cop says the plan is to hold drug suppliers and traffickers accountable and not criminalize substance users. We're not talking about a military state. We are not talking about a military state. The National Guard goes into many places and helps out. Bach can only speak for Vancouver, but says until we address poverty and homelessness with a long-term spectrum of care, the harm caused by a volatile drug supply will only worsen. Lack of access to, to fundamental resources like shelter um, and primary care and, and mental health supports is just adding fuel to that fire. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The provincial government is furthering their support for Indigenous cannabis entrepreneurs in B.C., announcing more than $2 million in funding. Jasmine King reports. In an effort to increase Indigenous involvement in the cannabis sector, the government will be putting $2.3 million towards the B.C. Indigenous Cannabis Business Fund. I think the announcement, uh, it's a really good gesture from, from the provincial government. It's really great to see um, the industry, you know, open, with open arms, welcome Indigenous people into that. The province says the one-time fund will help entrepreneurs with the costs associated with launching their business. However, Douglas says it's not quite enough. I think the funding is a, is a small uh, step towards action. There's still lots of uh, challenges, though, that are, are facing, you know, those nations and those entrepreneurs that, that want to enter into the industry. The fund will also support development workshops for Indigenous communities about the cannabis industry as they're hoping to support job creation and financial opportunity. Economically and in many other areas, Indigenous people are not on a level playing field with, with the rest of Canada and Canadians. That's part of the challenge of, of entering in any industry. First Nation leadership councils have recently called on the provincial and federal government for changes to the Cannabis Act and Douglas adds that Indigenous communities want further involvement in the industry. There's a lot of work left to do with recognizing Indigenous jurisdiction not only in the cannabis industry, but um, Indigenous 
inherent rights and title and jurisdiction throughout this province and many industries. This new funding is in addition to the original $7.5 million contribution from both the provincial and federal government over the next three years. Jasmine King, Global News, Kelowna. Coming up on the news hour, another deadly incident at an oil sands tailing pond site. Alberta's energy regulator is investigating as dozens of birds perish due to environmental conditions. Stay with us. A man believed to be in his mid-20s is dead and another person was rescued after an avalanche in a closed-off area at Lake Louise Ski Resort yesterday afternoon. A third person escaped the slide. According to the resort, three people ducked under a rope and went into an area which has been closed off due to dangerous conditions. The group traversed along the ridge of the West Bull when an avalanche gave way overhead, burying two people. No one had avalanche safety gear on them. A 911 call was made and patrol quickly went to the scene along with Parks Canada search and rescue dogs and RCMP. With the help of dogs and probes, crews were able to locate both people. One person was airlifted out, but he succumbed to his injuries. The avalanche is being described as a class three. On a sunny spring day five years ago, a man deliberately drove a van down a busy sidewalk in Toronto, committing one of this country's worst mass murders. It was unfathomable then and still shocking now to think how our innocence as a community and as a city was lost. The violence and loss of life will remain a scar on many of our hearts, especially those who... Today, family and friends gathered in Toronto to reflect on the tragedy and honour the 10 people who died in the attack on the 23rd of April 2018. 16 others were injured, including a woman who died from her injuries more than three years later. A plaque placed in a nearby park gives a small reminder of the deadly rampage. The city says a permanent memorial is still being finalized. Alberta's energy regulator is investigating another incident at an oil sands tailing pond site. Dozens of dead birds and other small animals have been found at a wastewater pool operated by Suncor. The incident follows a series and leaks and spills from the toxic sites. Heather Urich's West reports. For decades, oil sands tailings ponds have proven to be a hazard to area wildlife and it appears a deadly incident has happened again. On Saturday, the Alberta Energy Regulator reported Suncor found 32 dead birds at the tailing site 28 kilometres north of Fort McMurray. After further investigation, the company updated the total to 43 birds, two muskrats, one bat and one vole. It wasn't a surprise because deadly bird landings on tailings ponds have been happening um, you know, they've been actually been reported for decades. 1,600 ducks died when they landed on a tailings pond operated by Syncrude in 2008. And 31 great blue herons were killed at a Syncrude oil sands mine site in 2015. More recently, 50 birds were killed after landing on a site operated by Imperial Oil in 2020. Oil sands are required to have bird protection plans in place for their operations. And in a statement, Suncor says its bird deterrents, including cannons and radar, were active. Both Suncor and the AER are investigating what went wrong. 
The incident comes in the same week that Suncor reported a spill of 6 million liters from a sedimentation pond, and just after the CEO of Imperial Oil apologized before a parliamentary committee for a series of leaks at a tailings pond site at Curl Lake. We are disappointed in this recent performance. We can and will do better. I promise you that. But the reality is the problem of tailings ponds has no solution. The wastewater covers an area more than twice the size of Vancouver, with no viable way yet to clean it up. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. Still to come on the news hour, the bizarre discovery of what could be a shark tooth. What would you do? And the Tulip Festival is back in Chilliwack. When can we see these gorgeous flowers bloom in the millions when we come back? Spring is in the air, and with it comes the return of the popular Chilliwack Tulip Festival. Up until May 17th, guests can enjoy and take pictures among the bright tulips and other flower varieties. The cold weather delayed the opening this year. However, organizers say next week's warmer temperatures mean the 7 million-plus bulbs will bloom rapidly. Currently, we have our beautiful hyacinths, which are extremely fragrant. So they're the one flower that we have in the fields that have an amazing scent to them. So that's what we're enjoying for the next few days. In addition to our uh, early double daffodils, which we have a huge field of those, and our early uh, tulips, which is a big field of orange or red, depending on how you interpret them, because I see orange, others see red. Sorry, the date is up until May 7th, and this is the festival's 17th year. Well, Yvonne, is the weather going to cooperate? <laughs> yes, yeah, actually good timing. Today is sort of the blip in the forecast, Julie, but it's the long-range forecast. We've been advertising the surge in temperatures, the return for some sunshine, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. A glance at what we're seeing right now, rainfall, temperature sitting at 9, the winds picking up southeasterly up to 22. That's reported out of the airport. But this is what we're anticipating or we're watching right now is that wave of moisture. It's heavy at times, even along the west end, extending in towards the Fraser Valley, Re uh, areas across the island southern regions also included within that and we're going to continue to track that rainfall for this evening tapering off to a chance of showers overnight and then in behind it we're going to see this ridge starts to build in the coming days and that's where we'll see the return for some sunshine so the plan for heading out to work in school tomorrow morning we've got actually got some fog patches we'll still see a few isolated showers possible by the afternoon we'll bump up to 12 average for this time of the year sits at 14 degrees wanted to give a little heads up if you are traveling along the mountain passes higher elevations for a few spots the cocoa Hall and Kootenai Pass still seeing the potential for some snowfall two and up to five centimeters and the Kootenai Pass for tomorrow could still see anywhere between two and four centimeters. Most of the other mountain passes will be changing over to a chance for some wet flurries. Look ahead and what we're anticipating as we get in towards the end of the week by next weekend just in time for the weekend it'll hold strong this ridge of high pressure and temperatures are going to be soaring once again. We'll be back into the 20s a few spots even away from the water 25 and 26 degrees. Wanted to also show you a comparison for the interior of those temperatures into the upper 20s and we'll likely see the peak of the heat potentially by our Saturday and Sunday. So a look ahead in the coming days. It'll start to dry out, but we still need to contend with both today, early Monday and similar for our Tuesday with the potential for some showers or drizzle in the mix. Northern half of the province along the coast up to 7 degrees. Central interior with some breaks in there closer to 11. The southern interior, it's still higher elevations, a few wet flurries, but pleasant. Kamloops up to 19 with a mix of sun and cloud. Whistler will still hang on to that chance of showers and most areas along the south coast and the lower mainland will still see a few breaks in there for the afternoon. 
Drizzle starts to pick up once again, and then that takes us in towards our Tuesday with a bit more cloud cover. A clearing is on the way. That's likely by our Tuesday night. And then Wednesday onwards, that ridge starts to build. Julie, it's really going to start to warm up even by our Friday, away from the water, getting up to 25. Back to you. All right. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, a mother and stepdaughter in Prince George made a unique find earlier this month in a local river that's prompted even more questions. Rachel Cook and her stepdaughter Addison Schill were out rock hunting on the Nechaco River on April 11th when they discovered what looked to be a shark tooth in the riverbed with speculation that it might be a tooth from a megalodon or a prehistoric shark. Several people have reached out to Rachel with different theories on where it may have come from. My favorite one is something called glacier displacement, uh, meaning that once upon a time when it was already a fossil, uh, it was scooped up by the glacier that came through here thousands of years ago, and it just happened to deposit it where it was found. So I encourage anyone that finds something that they don't know what it is, bring it in. We've got some great staff that have incredible expertise. If we don't know, maybe we can point you in the right direction to figure it out. Well, the Vancouver Aquarium will soon be bidding farewell to its four African penguins as they make the journey to a new facility in Alberta. The penguins, appropriately named Hope, Steveston, Salt Spring and Seashelt, are moving to Edmonton next month. They will join up with a larger colony of 17 penguins participating in a breeding program. It's part of a larger program known as SAFE, which works with facilities across the world to help save the critically endangered species. They will have the opportunity to interact with uh, other individuals of the species. They'll have uh, different areas to explore. They'll be able to establish uh, different territories and potentially acquire new mates. Silva says she and the staff have grown close with the penguins who first arrived from the New England Aquarium back in 2012, but they are happy they will get a chance to be with more of their own kind. Barry's here now. Mm -hmm. What you got coming up in sports? Well, I was going to say, the, the, I'm sure the Penguins cheer for the Penguins oh, in the playoffs. Oh, of course they do. They don't have a team this year, so if, since they're going to Edmonton, maybe they'll, they'll cheer <laughs> for the Oilers, but we'll see. Actually, today, the story, the big story came kind of out of nowhere in golf, where Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor out of Abbotsford teamed up to almost win the tournament in New Orleans. It's the only team event the entire year in the PGA Tour, and a lot of friends usually get together and play, and these guys have been good buddies uh, since they were 12 years old playing out of Ledgeview in Abbotsford. So we'll have highlights and hear from them. And it is baseball season. You see a lot of teams out there getting ready around the diamonds. And we've got a story about how girls baseball wants to move forward with girls teams instead of playing with the boys coming up in sports as well. I love that story. I suppose yeah. we both yeah, love we that story. All right. Well, thanks. Be tuned. Yeah, you guys thanks. can be on my team. I guess I can't play, though. <laughs> well, coming up, a story about hockey dads paying it forward. Former professional players here in B.C. providing the encouragement for the next generation to excel in the game. That story straight ahead. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Life after a professional hockey career can be a difficult transition. But for those with a true love of the game, you never stray too far from the rink. At this weekend's Soyuz Desert Classic, a number of NHL players are now hockey dads, which means mentoring and coaching a new generation of talent. Here's Jay Durant with tonight's This is BC. Oh yeah! 
A spring tournament that these players have been working towards all year. At eight and nine, they're starting to get a grasp on hockey, but they're not the only ones picking up new things along the way. It's been a fun process and the kids made it, make it great. And the high guy is the guy that goes slow, kind of waits and reacts. On this night, these NHLers are going head to head once again, this time coaching their kids' teams. Just winging it, just trying to help the kids as much as I can, have fun with them and uh, enjoy it while it lasts. Duncan Keith, Josh Georges and Shea Weber, longtime friends, former junior teammates reunited at the rink. Especially in the Okanagan, there's there's a ton of hockey players that, uh, you know, have had great careers and now have kids the same age as your kids and you're always kind of looking around the rink and seeing familiar faces. This is a trip down memory lane for them in those early days of hockey. Going to tournaments, staying in hotels, playing mini sticks in the hallways. You know, memories of uh, great friendships and um, pals and hockey friends that you've stayed in touch with over years. Five minutes to puck drop and the excitement is palpable. Game on. Fingers crossed they stay focused and pay attention. Not all the time, but I don't listen all the time either, so I don't blame them. But there's certainly inspiration to be just like their all-time favorite NHL players. Um, that'd be Connor McDavid. Uh, Sidney Crosby. Elise Patterson. Well, how about their favorite NHL defenseman? Gail McCarr. Charlie McAvoy. Tyson Berry. It's a generational thing. Memorial Cups, Olympic gold medals, Norris trophies, Stanley Cup rings, those are stories for another day. Helping these kids learn the game is all that matters now. You love seeing them develop and, and grow as, as little players, little athletes, little human beings. So it's been a lot of fun. It's really, really about the kids and their development now and their uh, and, and how they uh, develop coming up. And hopefully we can uh, develop some hockey players for the future. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Some Port Moody grade 11 and 12 students got a chance to experience what it would be like to be a firefighter today. The inaugural junior firefighter program started Thursday and ended this afternoon. These Port Moody teens took part in ground drills, high angle rescue and basic first aid. Organizers say the aim of the four day event is to train future firefighters and expand recruitment. I've always thought of being a firefighter since I've been little and I kind of saw this opportunity come up for the school district and yeah. um, it was just a great way to kind of get a get your feet in the water a little bit and have a have some experience. Organizers say a lot of firefighters are aging out and new recruits are needed. Participants say it's been an intense few days but a lot of fun as well. Coming up on the news hour, who wants to play baseball with boys? Well, not these girls. How one organization is helping these young athletes comfortable in their league of their own when we come back. Support this year's Gala of Grace. This is an event of hope and love in support of North Shore Crisis Services Society, who provide emergency shelter, assistance, and resources to women and children fleeing domestic abuse. Although the gala is now sold out, your donation directly supports women and children in our community. Don't miss Sting coming to Rogers Arena. Enjoy this exuberant and dynamic show taking fans on a musical journey through its timeless hits like Fields of Gold, Message in a Bottle, Roxanne, and more. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you in part by MarBC. Support a sustainable BC and recycle your end-of-life, large appliances, and help keep BC green.
All right, Barry is back, and you're going to start with sports. Not sports, golf. Yeah, well, in I, sports. Yeah, it's just part of the umbrella. I'll, I'll always talk sports <laughs> if you'll let me. All right, thanks very much, Julie. Uh, Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor have grown up playing golf together at Ledgeview in Abbotsford. They've both won on the PGA Tour before, and each are really enjoying a very good season this year, and they kept it going this week in New Orleans. The two good friends teamed up for a second-place finish in a very big payday at the Zurich Classic of New Orleans, the only team event on the PGA schedule. Taylor and Hadwin began the day in 13th place, but they quickly shot up the leaderboard. Today's format, alternate shot, so typically much harder to score than the best ball format where each player plays the hole. You take the lowest score, but the BC boys got into a rhythm. Adam with the birdie there. They're fourth in a row at the 10th. And after another one at 11, Hadwin drains the sixth straight birdie for the team. That moves them to 27 under, just one off the lead. 12th hole, Hadwin with the approach shot here. It was a windy day, not a great scoring day. Most teams were 1-2-3 under, but the Abbotsford's boys uh, were dialed in. Hadwin sticks it close, and now it's Taylor's turn to putt, and that goes down for a seventh straight birdie, and they take the lead at 28 under, but still plenty of golfers behind them, and one group, Nick Hardy and Davis Riley, made the big move. Hardy with the birdie from off the green, and they would win it at 30 under, but... Hadwin and Taylor finished solo second with a 9-under 63 today, tying the record for alternate shot at the tournament. And they each won 507000 U.S. dollars. Not a bad way to spend the week with your good buddy. It, it, was, it was pretty ridiculous. Um, I think that we got into a really good rhythm the way that this course sets up. I was hitting tee balls. His irons were great. I had a really good feel for the greens. And that middle stretch starting, he made a great par putt on six. And then starting on seven, we kind of went nuts. And uh, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't hit a putt for about six or seven holes because he was, <laughs> he was filling it up. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm sure uh, where we grew up, Ledgeview Golf and Country Club is at home staring at the screen. Uh, probably more more into it than we are almost. But, uh, yeah, it's been great. You know, we played the World Cup, uh, I feel like, three or four years ago in Australia and had a great time. And so we, we definitely gel together well. So it's been fun. Yeah, we, uh, we've obviously really enjoyed this partnership on the golf course. But Nick and I spent two, three years living together when we first turned pro. We, yeah, we traveled together for two years on the Corn Ferry as well. So... Uh, we know each other pretty well. We enjoy the time this week, and I think it, it showed off on the golf course. And they got to split a million bucks for their troubles. Great. Stanley Cup playoffs, big game four for the Oilers in L.A., trailing the series 2-1. Not a great start. L.A. with big energy. Kevin Fiala in the lineup for the first time in the series is stopped, but Gabe Velarde on the rebound. one nothing. L.A.'s got the lead. They're late in the first. Also in the West, Game 4, Stars and Wild from Minnesota. Wild up two games to one. Third period, one nothing. Dallas in the lead, and they would add to it as Evgeny Davidov will whip the screen wrister past Philip Gustafson. 2 nothing for the Stars. Many got one back, but then the Stars put it away on the power play. Jamie Benn, great pass to Tyler Sagan, who scores his second of the game. And the Stars hang on to win it 3-2. That should be the series tied at two games apiece. Game four, Panthers and Bruins. Boston up 2-1 in the series. Third period, Bruins up a goal. They will add to the lead. Tyler Bertuzzi, great deflection. He was a great pickup at the trade deadline. Bertuzzi giving Boston even more depth like they need it. Now 4-2 in the third. Taylor Hall with the steal in alone. Check out that forehand deke 
as Sergei Bobrovsky like a pretzel there. That makes it 5-2. Late in the game, Matthew Kachuk looking for trouble. Really? Getting into it with Bruins goalie Linus Allmark. Imagine a Kachuk doing that. He got tossed, as did Allmark. Panthers on the brink lose 6-2 and now trail the series 3-1 going back to Boston for Game 5. Bo Horvat and the Islanders down 2-1 in their series against Carolina. Second period already 1-0 Canes. They add to the lead Martin Natchez. Fourth of the playoffs and a pretty pass play on the power play. Their second power play goal of the game. And in the third, Canes 2-on-1. Sebastian Ajo and Mackenzie McEachern will work uh, the give and go. Ajo makes it 3-0. 5-2 the final. Horvat got a shorthanded goal late, but the Isles lose and are down 3-1 in the series. World U18 Championship from Switzerland. That's Richmond, B.C.'s Lucas Dragasevic. Tri-City Americans defenseman expected to be a late first-round pick in the NHL draft this June. Canada taking on Slovakia. Up 2-0 when Porter Martone. Check out these moves by the 16-year-old from Ontario. Between the legs, great skills on the kids these days. 3-0 Canada, but the Slovaks fought back to make it 3-2, but in the Third, some BC boys combined. Dragasevic and Nanaimo's Matthew Wood set up Macklin Celebrini. He's the son of Rick Celebrini, who runs the Golden State Warriors medical department, former Whitecaps and Canucks physiotherapist. Macklin could be the number one pick in the 2024 NHL draft. Canada win 4-3. They play Czechia on Tuesday. Baseball today, Jays and Yankees concluding their three-game set at Yankee Stadium. Jays starter Kevin Gossman. Just fantastic. Seven shutout innings, just two hits allowed, 11 Ks. Jays starters gave up just one run in three games in this series from Kikuchi, Manoa, and Gossman, all in fine form. Jays didn't get a hit until the sixth, but when they got one, they made it count. Vladimir Guerrero smashes a two-run homer, a rope to left. That's his fifth. Two-nothing Jays, and then the next man up, Dalton Varsho, smashes one to that short porch and right as they go back-to-back jacks. Three-nothing Jays, they win 5-1, take two of three in the Bronx, and their record now 13-9. and FA Cup semifinal from Wembley, Manchester United and Brighton and Hove Albion scoreless through 120 minutes. It went to penalties. Each side scored on their first six but then Brighton's Solly March, oh, skies it over the bar. You always feel sorry for the guy who doesn't score because it's trouble. For the win, Victor Lindelof, and he will fire it in in Manchester United. Off to the FA Cup final where they will play rivals Manchester City at Wembley Saturday, June the 3rd. Little League Baseball is very popular in our province, but it's almost exclusively played by boys. Most girls who end up trying baseball either quit by the time they are nine years old or they switch to softball where there are many all-girls teams. But there's a movement in Vancouver to get girls to fall in love with baseball and keep playing the sport together on girls' teams. Bendies, hands up. This is a very typical scene at any baseball practice you might see, but this one is unique because all of the players and coaches are girls. This is part of a series of weekly clinics to get young girls aged 7 to 12 to get some extra practice on the fundamentals just amongst themselves. The hope is uh, as these girls start to bring their friends and we develop you know, more momentum around it that we'll have a few girls teams and they'll just grow through the years and we'll do everything that we can to promote their involvement. Showing them that they can do something that maybe they didn't think they could do. They don't, there's a tendency to, if you can see it, you can be it. Nice 
shot, buddy. Little Mountain has one of the most respected and successful Little League programs in Canada, but 85% of the registered players are boys. And once you take away T-ball, there's literally just a handful of girls who play actual baseball games with live pitching. So those who do stick around play on boys' teams. That must be fun, huh? Not really. They're really mean and they're also very competitive. Now, what about when you play with the girls here? How different is that, that than playing with the boys? Way better. But what's not so good about playing with boys? Well, they're boys, of course. So just like the movie, these girls are looking for a league of their own. Vancouver Community Baseball has formed an under-15 girls team where they can all play ball in a much more supportive environment. It brings you back up because then you don't get stuck on, oh, oops, I missed the ball, I messed up the entire game. Now you're, oh, next play, I'm getting this person out. And that environment just lets them enjoy the great game of baseball. Honestly, I love that it's super complicated. Like, I've always loved that you, there's a bunch of variables. Like, anything could, like, happen. You just have to be prepared for, like, everything. It's going to take a few years to keep enough girls playing to build teams and even a league one day. But that's their field of dreams. Christine and I have a dream of sitting out there in the outfield watching two girls majors teams play on this diamond, a diamond that we love and we feel passionate about. So that's our goal is in five years, two girls, 12-year-old teams are going to be playing right here on this diamond. Well, boys stink. Let's be yeah, real. Yeah, not, not all boys, but let's face it, some <laughs> some aren't fun to play with. So, But we wish the girls all the best of luck. It's a great program they yeah, got Yeah, it totally is. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks so much. Very well mm -hmm. straight ahead. Coming out to the gun show, uh -oh. we'll take you to <laughs> one of the biggest arm wrestling competitions in the province. Stay with us. Not me. Dozens of competitors from across BC are in Kelowna this weekend for the 47th annual BC Arm Wrestling Championship. Roll up your sleeves. This event boasts rather 18 weight classes in four different divisions for both right and left arms. The more than 200 athletes have also got the chance to compete at the Nationals in Nova Scotia this summer, representing BC. One competitor from Vancouver says despite the pandemic forcing many to stay home, he decided to use that home time to his advantage by taking up arm wrestling. My dad sent me an arm wrestling table to my house and it came to the door and I was like, what the heck is this? And he's like, I think you'd be good at this. So I started like YouTubing and this and that and I actually got pretty good at it, so. Randy Sparling says that gift from his dad changed his life for the better. <laughs> All right. Helps if you have arms like stovepipes, too. <laughs> I know quickness and technique are important, but you can't beat that. No, you can't. Which many of us do not own. Right. It helps. It's hard to buy a jacket if you have arms. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, Yvonne, um, have you got the pipes for a, a good forecast this week? I think people are going to be pretty happy. Yes. A nice break, much needed. So Monday, Tuesday, still a bit of drizzle in the mix. But then once we get Wednesday through Friday, and then hopefully even taking us in towards next weekend, which is key, right, for it to stick around too, we'll see it away from the water, 25, 26 degrees, the interior, upper 20s. Finally. Love it. <sighs> Finally, yes. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you again at 11. Have a great night. See you guys.